Welcome, heathens and witches, to the Horn and Cauldron Podcast. Podcast. Yeah, uh, I'm John Norgrove. This is Julie Norgrove, uh, and uh, yeah, this is this is our witchy podcast. Uh, today we are talking about Beltane. Uh, this is our Beltane 102. So uh, yeah, if you want to hear the first Beltane episode we did, that was episode 11. So that was back in the day. We're at episode 37 now. But uh, yeah, so we're just going to get right into Beltane 102. Oh yeah, if you're listening to this on YouTube and you're looking at our faces, welcome. What's up? How you doing? Be cool. And uh, do peace. You know the rules. Do peace. And Put on your uh, robe. Put on your robe. Do peace. And uh, like the video, comment below, uh, share the video, subscribe to the channel, do all that kind of stuff. If you're listening to this on your podcast network of choice, what's going on, please leave us a review. That's the only way we know that people are listening to us on podcast networks because analytics are a lie. Um, or they are not. A, I mean, they're still the grand alive. design. Or uh, there really is only seven people listening to us. Yeah, or there's I, only I mean, seven people. And officially, hey, we have seven. Uh, hey, I'm okay with that. What's up? Hello, one through seven. Yeah. Thank you for being here. So, and secret eight that we don't know about yet. Comment below. Tell, tell me if, and if future you should be number eight. eight. <laughs> yeah, and future eight. You know, like uh, Professor X put his hands on the side of his face. <laughs> you know, whatever that shit is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so let's just get right into it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Who is Beltane 102? What, wh- how is Beltane 102? How is Beltane 102? What is Beltane 102? I mean... Why is Beltane 102? Well, because, I mean... Who, what? Did we do all of them? Is that all of them? Where? Who, what, where? Where is Beltane 102? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, all right, now that now that? that we've done that, so... <laughs> so this is 102 because we've already covered a whole bunch of basics of uh, Beltane in our 101 episode, some of which we'll be touching on, but this is really more of like a deep dive into Beltane. Into a specific characteristic of Beltane. Yes. Um, you know, and for the 102s, we do like a ritual bit instead of a couple of spell bits. So yep. if you're new to the 102 aspect of our podcast videos. Uh, Absolutely. I was going to say exactly and absolutely at the same time. And that's um, that was that was awkward for my mouth. Exactly. <laughs> so Beltane is held in the northern hemisphere on May 1st. And if you're in the southern hemisphere, hello. Um, and your Beltane is typically November 1st. Really, it's the beginning of spring. It's about halfway between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. Uh, Beltane is the uh, third spring festival you know we have the third of three yeah the three of three Um, but some people actually consider beltane the beginning of summer festival so for some people this is a spring for some people it's a summer and um really you don't have to make a distinction between that it's just kind of when it is beltane is actually my favorite because it is right around the time of my birthday so beltane is like my own personal new year dope yeah. yeah. Uh, so Beltane has been celebrated uh, for thousands and thousands of years um, unofficially. Officially, we know that Beltane's been celebrated for about a thousand years. Uh, and it's been typically celebrated with bonfires, visiting holy wells, uh, having fertility rituals, either for the land or for humans. <laughs> uh, it has recently become a popular time for hand fasting. Um, and we do talk about hand fasting as well as hand fasting customs more in Don't our... Don't your hands, guys. You gotta lose that hand weight or whatever. 
right? Hand fasting? Hand weight? No. Yeah, because because you're, <laughs> you're just fasting your hands only. Don't feed your hands. Uh, yeah, no, we're not, we're not, we're not doing that. Unless you're trying to be a hand model and then your hands don't need to lose weight. I guess. I, guess. I don't know. Do hand, maybe yeah. hand models got to have big hands. I, I don't, honestly, I've never paid attention. So I don't, I don't know. Um, I but I do know that our, that, that our episode on hand fasting is also on love magic and that's episode 32. Mm. Uh, so if you're interested in more of the hand fasting side of things, um, that's definitely we the go place. more into it there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Beltane is also sort of dedicated to the Fae. Um, and you also celebrate by like putting ribbons around a maypole, having feasts, of course, decorating with spring greenery, flowers, and ribbons. So you can hear all about a bunch of this stuff in the Beltane 101 episode, um, unless you want to be listening specifically to that hand fasting episode. So, you know, get it. Um, now, some people celebrate Beltane um underneath different names and this is sort of like an interesting thing that sort of incorporates a lot more communities from around the world and Beltane is also celebrated as well Perkisnacht um, as well as May Day and Blossomfrios uh, as well as Floralia so really all of these are sort of tied together in their own interesting mm. way. So that's actually what, what we're going to be mostly talking about. What language is Frails? Uh, that is the new um, sort of Norse heathen name for this holiday. And when I say new, um, this is part of the Reconstructionist holidays. So I'm not 100% sure what language that comes from. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I mean, but yeah. I don't think that it's German because Walpurgisnacht is the German is one. The German one. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Very interesting. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So um, any of those names really kind of are all Beltane. Um, so the first one we're actually going to talk briefly about is Blossom Frills. Uh, so it is a modern reconstructionist heathen festival um, around the time that um, that Wicca popularized having eight Sabbaths. A lot of other sort of uh, sects of paganism and heathenry decided that they wanted to sort of have that. So um, that was when this was sort of created. And I think it's really meant to just sort of bridge that gap between the more influenced by Wiccan type of um, Sabbath worship, as opposed to you celebrate for a whole month, which is primarily what the ancient Norse did. Um, but also to kind of make it a little bit warmer because uh, the old, the, the specifically like ancient Icelandic Vikings would have celebrated Beltane as part of their festival for the winning of basically spring over winter. And that happens um, in tune with the old Icelandic calendar, which is typically about two weeks before Beltane happens. Mm -hmm. So that just happened for us as we're recording this. Um, And uh, a lot of old heathen Norse things uh, were celebrated for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. So we've talked in a bunch of different episodes about how the Greeks kind of tended tended to celebrate things for like three days. And same thing with the Romans. Um, but the Norse tended to celebrate the whole month. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, <laughs> you're going to throw a party. Why not throw it like 9,000? Exactly. Right? Exactly. 9, so um, the, so Blossom Friels is, is um is is pretty modern and because of that it picks and chooses elements from Walpurgisnacht and Floralia which is actually the ancient Roman festival for spring mm-hmm. as well as elements of 
Easter or Yomster. Mm. So you see a lot of those sort of things in in that there for them. So we're actually going to move away from that because all of these things you can kind of pick and choose if that's where you want to be. Um, so, well, Pergusnacht is kind of the biggest one here. And um, I had heard that name being associated with Beltane before, but actually hadn't really looked into it and was quite surprised to learn that this is basically a feast day for a, for a, a, a saint. Uh, so this day is named after St. Walpurga, who lived in the 8th century, so in the 700s. Now, the earliest depictions of this St. Walpurga um, show her holding stalks of grain. And this is actually pretty interesting um, because, uh, drinking game moment, uh, it has to do with the Christianization of Europe. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> yeah. Not even 15 minutes in, and we're already at uh, I don't at, have a beer. I'll, drinks. Go get a, I'll, go get a beer. <laughs> I'll go get a beer. You're going to need one. I don't know why you didn't prepare. Yeah. You were not prepared. I was not. Illidan is saying things to you. So, so Walpurga was was originally shown holding stalks of grain, and this really ties into uh, iconography of older agricultural and fertility de deities such as Ceres or Demeter, Persephone, Freya, even Brigid were all shown holding stalks of grain, and um, we can really see how they're kind of trying to like bend that curve there, uh, and. Uh, in particular, this is probably a bit more of a um, of a choice rather than something that just sort of fell into that because St. Walpurga spent a good portion of her life trying to convert German townsfolk from their pagan religious beliefs to Christianity. And in doing so, she traveled with her brothers as well as the other uh, missionaries uh, and um, wrote accounts of her travels, uh, which is actually super fascinating because mm. she is often called the first female author in England and Germany because of that. She's not the oldest female author in the world that belongs to a uh, Japanese woman who wrote a novel that I can't think of off the top of my head. Um, she wrote it at the ripe age of 253. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, it's also one of the oldest novels in the world that this Japanese woman wrote. Anyway, I digress. Mm. Uh, so St. Walpurga, because she was basically um, doing her, her missionary type work to convert people, probably saw that these people were worshiping deities stuff, that yeah. had these grains. And I know you're saying like, oh, Persephone, uh, Demeter series, like this isn't in the Germanic thing. However, we do know, and we've mentioned this in a few um, episodes, a couple of deep dives, a couple of random things that we know. Um, that people were worshiping Roman and Greek deities as far north as Scandinavia as early as the fourth century. Um, and that's really a lot of it is thanks to the Romans. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, that's definitely a I think that that's a more. A, a more of a choice than an accident that she was shown holding stalks of grain as time went on and things got more modern. She was mostly holding, shown holding like bandages. Uh, but um, St. Walpurga after she died was canonized and then was later on associated with protection against magic and witches. And so her ancient feast day uh, was Walpurgis knocked in modern times. Her feast day is like in February, which I don't understand why they changed it. It does not matter. Uh, hmm. But her ancient feast day 
And by ancient, I mean like back to like the early 900s. Um, yeah, it's pretty ancient. Was, yeah. yeah, it's pretty ancient. Like that's a long time I'm ago. I'm not like from that's there. That's more I'm than like, a thousand years yeah, ago. I'm not like from there. Like I don't know that place. It's, not, it's definitely a long time ago. I don't right? know anybody that was alive then unless I accidentally know an immortal or a vampire. In yeah. which case, hey, what's up? Yeah. I feel like that's another drinking game thing that needs to start there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Please free immortality. All right, we just What's up? I'll be one. a vampire. Yeah. Um. So um, it's interesting that she was a crusader and then was sort of like the patron of the um, against magic and witches. And that's mm -hmm. really one of the like core tenets of the Christianization of Europe is trying to get people to not only not worship their pagan gods, but to have people that do as outcasts. Mm. So while Pergusnacht customs combine some really interesting pieces of ancient pagan and old Christian elements um, from throughout Europe. So some while Pergusnacht customs from around, um, I want to say the world, but it's really mainly Europe. Mm. Um, it would be to burn an effigy or a puppet that's made to look like a witch to scare away witches. Um, now we see this in other old pagan customs where you burn an effigy of winter to banish it and Welcome Spring. We actually talked about this a bunch in episode 34. That was Ostara 102. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Totally. It's the scarecrow logic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, people also for Walpurgisnock will dress up uh, like witches mm -hmm. and visit carnivals and other parties and revelry. And we see this with not only Samhain, but also with Dionysia. And we talked about this pretty in depth yeah. in our Dionysus deep dive that we did recently. Um, and, and this is really... I think this is actually super interesting because Samhain is the opposite side of Beltane and the veil between the worlds is thin during both of these particular Sabbaths and times of year. Yeah. And that sort of holds true throughout all of the pagan and heathen type of belief systems that we have. So dressing up during Samhain was traditionally to disguise themselves from wandering spirits, but not just to disguise but also to protect. We talk more about that in um, Samhain 101, which is episode 24. Um, and in the Dionysus deep dive, we talk about people dressing up like those in Dionysus' retinue. So for Dionysia, the dress up was to sort of take on some of those things, whereas for Samhain, it's to avoid them. So it's an interesting piece there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And not only did people... Um, you know, dress up during Dionysia. They also did during Anthesteria, another um, festival that's associated with Dionysus, who also, by the way, is an agricultural fertility type of deity yeah. that is um, that is sort of typically worshipped during spring. Um, we also talk a whole bunch about that in episode 35, Dionysus Deep Dive. Um, so there's a, a bunch of information that we cover there that really sounds similar to a lot of the stuff that we're talking about with Walpurgisnock Customs. Also bonfires. Bonfires are pretty common at basically every one of these festivals, some of them more so than others. But as we come into the summer festivals, bonfires are really a big deal. Um, and bonfires are sort of used to celebrate the coming of spring. You know, the sun is back. Let's light a fire. Because like a big fire kind of symbolizes the sun, especially yeah, in a time yeah. when you didn't have yeah. electricity well, or and, even fire and on demand. Like in spring, right? It's like, oh, nice, beautiful day. But then like that, the, when it gets dark, it gets cold. So like having a big ass bonfire, you know, it's sort of like extending the warmth of the day. Yes. Kind of a situation, you know? Yes. And particularly associated with uh, Beltane, bonfires were typically made at the top of a hill or a knoll or even a mountain. And, you know, if you're thinking about it from, you know, like a no 
no electricity kind of perspective, if you've got a big old bonfire up on a hill, um, you know, that definitely mimics what the sun would look like. Yeah, well, it's going to be seen from like all around. Exactly. So the people who aren't able to like come all the way up to the bonfire are still going to be able to like enjoy sweet bonfire them. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, plus, it allows people to kind of stay out late. So this is kind of one of those holidays where a bonfire and communal partying is big because it's warm enough for people to be out and about and the weather isn't yeah. as bad. Like with Imbolc, um, you know, we talked about how this is mainly a thing that you celebrate with like your close family around the yeah. birth fire. You know, that's because it's it's usually not great weather sure. <laughs> at that yeah, time yeah, in that February. Totally yeah. Unless you you live in California and you have false spring because yeah. during that time it's usually great. And sometimes but, it's warm, but you know, it's going to get cold again. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> no, Don't we, hold your butt. <laughs> and we talk about this in episode uh, 11, which is Beltane 101, but um, particularly associated with Beltane, people would do two bonfires. And that's not because the two sons, what, of Tatooine? Tatooine, I think, has two sons. Yeah, I think so. Sure. Um, but you would basically have two bonfires relatively close to each other and you'd walk your cattle or any other sort of livestock that you'd have through them to purify and protect them for the coming season. And then sort of like after the cattle went, then people would go through. Sure. Um, that seems to be I mean, a later people went thing. through with the cows. You didn't like push a cow through a, a wormhole. Yeah. I mean, you could push a cow through a wormhole. I guess. Yeah, sure. I That's going to be one seen, surprise We've also Stargate. So, yeah. <laughs> We just watched it. Well, we just watched a Stargate. <laughs> that is true. It was not great. It was not the great one. No. Um, but yeah, so bonfires. Yeah, bonfires. Um, now, the last fun thing about Walpurgis Nacht is that uh, the Church of Satan mm. was founded by Anton LaVey on Walpurgis Nacht in 1966. Oh, uh, here is this is your this is your cocktail fact moment. Yeah. Right. So in the Satanic Bible, Anton LaVey's sort of prime document, um, he writes the eve of May has been memorialized as the night that all of the demons, specters, afrites, and banshees would come forth and hold their wold revels, symbolizing the fruition of the spring equinox. And the Church of Satan, even in modern times, also indicates that this night, which they typically called Hexenacht, uh, is a night to not only sort of revel and party and whatnot, um, but a night to honor those who were victimized by superstition and witch hunting. So mm. this is an interesting uh, uh, thing that you can incorporate into your Beltane celebrations. It's not normally something that we really think about as yeah. modern day pagans until it becomes Samhain because yeah. everybody's like, witch hats. <laughs> sure, um, sure, but sure, it's sure. important Hexen. in this spring as well. Hexenacht. All yeah. right, cool. I didn't know about that. Yeah, so that is well, Pergus knocked in a in a nutshell. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Now, next up, we have May Day, and um, not the kind that you say when like your plane is going down, uh, or your ship. I guess you say it for both. Yeah. Yeah. So May Day, star or sea, is also known as International Workers Day. Um, here's sort of a tangent fun fact. So International Workers Day started in 1889 to commemorate protests and riots that were integral in pushing for an eight hour, eight hour workday. And before that, it was like a 10 to 16 hour workday, whatever your boss could force you to do. Yeah. Um, but that particular interpretation and celebration and honoring of May Day is not what we're talking about here. Hmm. Um, so... 
Hmm. I didn't know about that. Similar, but different. I mean, I, I knew about the like riots to work less. Hey guys, I'm just saying, maybe work days become like six hours. I'm I'm also all for right. Uh, maybe a shorter it, work maybe day. maybe it would solve the the you know jobbing crisis. Yeah, the original like uh like protest chant was like eight hours to work. Eight hours to rest, eight hours for however I please, or something like that. Oh, cool. Yeah, because before it was basically all day, and then you'd go home and sleep and get up and then leave and then go to work and come back. I mean, it um, sounds like a lot of bosses were getting punched to me. <laughs> Probably not enough. Yeah. Um, so we're not going to be talking about that kind of May Day today. Yeah. We're talking about uh, May Day as the sort of spring festival. and yeah. um, Like just one random day in May. Well, it's the first of May. Oops, some May. No, it's going to be May. <laughs> Oops, it's going to be May. <laughs> so um, May Day is particularly where bonfires to bless and protect cattle became really popular. Yep. This is more of a modern invention that kind of happened around, say, like the 1700s, 1800s, and really spread rapidly throughout Europe and, and America. Uh, and this is also where people started to jump over the bonfire to also purify and protect yourself. And we're going to have our next drinking game moment. If you're doing stuff with fire, please be safe. Yeah, please be safe. Hey, um, don't jump over fires, man. Because uh, generally, if you're in a specific uh, state of inebriation wherewith jumping over a fire seems like a smart idea, you're probably not coordinated <laughs> enough to execute that command, my guy. So what I would recommend you do is you uh, fucking leave it to the professionals on like the TV or at like a show and you don't do fire shit. Right, uh, because that shit burns, man. So don't do that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Fire is hot. Hey, I don't know. I don't know who I have to educate about this. I know. <laughs> uh, unpopular opinion: Fire is hot, dudes. So don't do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, be be fire safe. Right. That's yeah. That's important, especially nowadays. People are very stupid. Yeah, especially if you live in an area that is silly, silly prone humans. to wildfires, yeah, as we do, are. Yeah, please don't do fire stuff in California. If you live in California, just get, just get, get like, get some other way. Just visualize. Yeah, heat it, <laughs> heat it, heat it with just like a like a sun reflector. You know, yeah. like reflector ovens, solar ovens. Yeah, do one of those. I was thinking those are like, actually super dangerous. Print out a picture of a bonfire <laughs> and put that on the ground and jump over that because I was like, oh, what if you put it on your phone? And I was like, no, then you could jump and you could maybe fall and oh, break your phone. Oh my god, yeah, you would definitely do. You that. would definitely but, uh, but break your printing phone. out a picture of a bonfire and jumping over it. That's that is some like <laughs> office space level comedy, right? Like sneak downstairs, print it off so that when the boss doesn't see that you just printed a full color page of a bonfire, Oof, yeah. right? Print something else and at then, the same and time. Then, yeah, yeah. To you're, time like, it you're like so you have a you're reason. like a Word document, bonfire picture, an Excel document. You know how to do this. <laughs> and then you go upstairs. Most and of you, your millennials, you understand. Yeah, and you go upstairs and you whisper to your to your other heathen and pagan coworkers, "Hey, I brought the bonfire, guys." And then you put it on, and everybody jumps over it, and then you just crumple that up and put it in the trash. Yeah. Workday, May Day, bonfire jumps. There you go. When I yeah. worked in uh, <laughs> I don't work in an office anymore, so. <laughs> when I worked in technical support, we would often joke about wanting to flip a table. And instead of having a table, I had a binder. Um, so we would just like flip the binder because flipping a binder is um, also quite satisfying. Not nearly no. as 
satisfying as flipping a table. Um, but that's basically what that reminds me of. That's yeah. uh, that's that's office space nice. Beltane nice, bonfire yeah. moments. <laughs> flipping a table is awesome. <laughs> or just like throwing a chair. Like if you ever have, if you're ever getting rid of totally off the subject, by the way, if you uh, if you ever get rid of like like lawn furniture, you know how you have like that old white plastic. You know how everybody owned those white plastic yes. lawn chairs. Yes, that are like a dollar and or the whatever? leg always breaks. And the leg shatters and then it's like garbage because the sun has degraded the but plastic. But it's too into big like for you to put glass. into the trash can. Yeah, this is what you do. You just throw that shit across the yard, not aggressively, not towards people. Do shit in a safe way. I cannot stress this enough. But like, if you're in a safe place. And you have the safety of it. Like, you got to break it apart to fit it in your trash can anyway. Yeah. So, like, you know. Throw it at a wall. Throw it at a wall. Batters up. Whatever. Just don't hurt your house. Yeah. Or, like, another person or whatever. Or another animal. Yeah. Also, don't try to jump on it. Those are slippery. Ooh. And you will crack your little you... noggin on the he- on the ground. Yeah. I was thinking, like, that's how you get yourself a, an appointment for a tetanus shot, probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, those there's no metal in those, so you shouldn't be getting tetanus, but... Might be getting something else. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, maypoles. Maypoles. <laughs> you know what's um, not a lawn chair? Maypole. A maypole. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe it is uh, uh, made out of a lawn chair. Yeah. Maybe it's a lawn chair. Tiny. Maybe it's maypole. Is that how that makeup commercial goes? No. No. So, a, maypoles are also really commonly associated with May Day, and that's kind of like where that sort of became a Beltane custom. Yep, same first um, one. Yeah. <laughs> and we think, we, we don't even entirely know how the whole maypole thing like came about. Hot. Like, where it got hot. We do sure. not really know. Yeah. Um, but we, but, but scholars think that um, the practice of like dancing around the maypole, particularly with like ribbons and whatever, um, may have evolved from old Germanic and Norse customs that revolve around trees and honoring the landvetir uh, associated with particularly with particular trees. Mm-hmm. So you would like, you know, decorate a tree, basically show it a good time. Yeah. Honoring that. Yeah. Counter theory. Um, I'm not a scientist at all, but I'm just putting this out there. Maybe it was like the fucking Macarena and it just took over, man. Um, because I'm going to be real. I could easily see some pop star being like, hey, everybody, I'm going to do a song about maypoles. And uh, they're going to be like, I don't know what the fuck that is. And then they're like, everybody grab like pretty colors and run in a circle laughing, you know, <laughs> until like ev- until like there's one person left and they're like, you know, they won the maypole or whatever the fuck. And you like you like dancing and singing and having a good ass time. Uh, that sounds gangster. That took over. It's not like it's people were doing the cha-cha slide. It's probably somewhere in between. So. It's probably somewhere in between. <laughs> you know what I mean? It might have just been, it, maypoles might have just been the Macarena of like <laughs> a weird, like a, like one a weird weekend in Germany that just spread forever. Yeah. Or perhaps somebody had, you know, people had a particularly mischievous trees like we have a very mischievous uh light pole right by our house it's like right where our garbage cans go it just and it just doesn't want to provide light no it's it like, provides lights it provides light whenever the heck it feels like it yeah yeah, yeah. um and we've joked Is about the bringing light pole, offerings there's definitely a horror movie somewhere where they're like, this light pole should be flickering menacingly. Why isn't it? And they're like, we don't know. Well, they installed that light pole here, and mm-hmm. the Hol- and the and the Hollywood horror movie set just got a regular ass light pole because ours just like menacingly flickers sometimes. Yeah, like, and this is not a like, new thing. We will we will get home, lights on, go inside, grab the trash can, go to take it out, and as you're walking out, the lights is like no more light. It's dark still, but like no more light for you. Uh, you do this in the dark now. 
Yeah. So it's great. It's a fun light pole. Yeah. Yeah. So perhaps we need to set up that light pole yep. like a maypole and, um, you know, bring an offering so that it gives us light. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with <laughs> that. Because it's clearly not happy, happy with the offerings of trash that we put next to it because it's the only place our trash cans fit. One, one man's trash is a nightmare. Light pole's treasure, right? Isn't that the saying? So just putting that out there. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so it's also really popular <laughs> to have picnics and outdoor parties at uh, on May Day celebrations. Uh, picnics in particular are like a big, big thing and were especially in like the Victorian times. And um, it would be something just as like simple as like, you know, a little bit of food, go hang out at the park or wherever there's like a green space. And it could be as like lavish as like full tables and tablecloths and extravagant food and stuff. People would go all out for this. Um, and again, this is probably also because we've spent most of the winter inside when it hasn't been nice enough to be out. Yeah. Yeah. It's your like first party after, you know, like, uh, like after summer break gets out and you're just like, we've been free from school for like a week. Everybody's finally trusting that they're not going to secret call us back into school. Yeah. Uh, let's rage. So. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, then we have the May Queen. Um, and the May Queen is sometimes a woman, uh, but is modernly more often a young girl, like between, say, like eight and oh, say, like, like 15. Child. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like a like a young girl. And um, she typically has like a spot, a special spot in local parades, usually at the front of the procession. And um, she also generally wears white because purity, but sometimes multicolors. She also wears a tiara or a crown of flowers and carries a bouquet. She sometimes makes a speech at the beginning of the festivities yeah. and how one becomes a May Queen is it's just a, is it's just a, it's just a, as varied as the amount of May Queens there are. Yeah, that's just a country fair, you know, like Miss, you know, whatever, Miss Indianapolis or Miss America or Miss any, any whatever those are. Yeah, right. exactly. I imagine there's a Miss Sonoma County. Like, there I have is. no fucking clue. Okay, well, yeah, I've met sure. her, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I haven't know. met the current one, but I've met a previous one. I met, I met a person who had some sort of misterness attached to his, uh, to Healdsburg, but I don't know what that was. I don't remember. That was a long time ago, <laughs> my guys. So he was some sort of important Healdsburgian. Um, but, uh, like... It, like, isn't that just beauty queens? Like, uh, fair queens yeah. are basically just May queens? Basically, yes. Yeah. And also, um, the main character from uh, Midsommar, the movie, is essentially a May queen. Sure, yeah. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I know that that one is about the Sabbath of, of Midsummer, but there's a lot of things there that are reminiscent of Beltane celebrations, and that yeah, happens May to be Day one of them. Stuff, yeah, yeah. Um, now, coming in line with the May queen, and the May queen thing has been around for, like, a while, mm. But we have a newer thing that's called Jack in the Green. And this is a man. Phrasing. Who, it's what it's called, Jack in the Green. I know. I know. Um, so this is a man who dresses up in a tree-shaped outfit that is made up of seasonal greenery. So he's the tree kid in the play? Yes. Okay. Now, this actually evolved from... Is this just tree kids in plays trying to trick us into appreciating them more? Because uh, no. I support this. If you're a tree in a play, what's up, dude? No, something about it has more to do with chimney sweeps. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that makes as much sense as the joke that I just made. Continue. 
but all mine is true. All allow So this evolved most likely from a custom in the 1600s where milkmaids, like female milkmaids, would decorate their milk pails with like flowers and greenery. Sure. Okay. So this went from decorated milk pails to the milkmaids, instead of decorating their milk pails, wearing hats of flowers to turning into pyramid-shaped hats of flowers. Okay. And then dudes were like, I want to do that too, but like less flowers. Yeah, so it was like flower crowns today, right? Gals were like, what about flower crowns? And guys were like, I can put flowers in my beard. It's like a flower crown, but upside down. It is a little bit like that, yes. Yes. Um, Now, the earliest mention of Jack in the Green is from 1770. um, And it's thought to stem from older pagan rituals. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But um, Jack in the Green became really, really popular during the early to mid 1800s. (laughs) And part of its popularity, although it's not directly linked, is because chimney sweeps would also dress up and parade at May Day. And so the chimney sweeps helped to popularize this Jack in the Green figure (laughs) during these May Day In my mind, I'm picturing like the Assassin's Creed co-op game with like just a bunch of dudes with like chimney sweep poles, like jumping roof to roof through the streets of downtown London, but dressed in shitty like 12 year old kids tree costumes. just like, no, just like, ah, the Ents are attacking London again. Prepare yourself for flowers. <laughs> it's going to get weird for nope, a couple nope, of days. Nope. It's, uh, it's, I think it's one of those moments where real life is stranger than that. So uh, no these Jack in the Green costumes were huge. Um, particularly when they were like at the height of their popularity and heavy. Uh, And they really only had a space for like the person's face. And these chimney sweeps kind of ended up acting like low key, as best as I can tell, as like handlers for those who are cosplaying a giant pyramid shaped tree. Mm -hmm. And the chimney sweeps and other assorted handlers typically dressed up in a few ways. They typically dressed up as witches, um, very commonly in blackface or whiteface. Sure. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you're because a chimney sweep, you have access to a bunch of soot. So I exactly. guess that's what you get. As well as transvestites. Yeah. They would dress up in women's clothing, typically. And uh, we don't really know why chimney sweeps started to do this. Because uh, your job sucks, and that sounds a gangster. Hey, boss, I'm not going to come into work today. I'm going to go have fun for once. So I'll be back on the roof suffering tomorrow. Thanks. Yeah. Then dress up and party. Yeah, that sounds gangster. Basically. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the it's thought that these Jack and the Green things uh, actually stem from older pagan rituals because it's a bit of a reach from milk made, mil- milk pail decorated with flowers to man in a giant I mean, pe- tree shaped pyramid. Is it though? I, I... Like, yes and no. But. This thought is uh, is um, comes from a folklorist whose name is Rady, Lady Raglan. Now, she had, um, before she died, she had basically um, admitted that she didn't do any research on this, but she felt that the Jack and the Green stuff evolved from the Green Man, um, kind of the the sort of um, mythical and um, religious figure associated with a lot of like Wicca type of stuff, sure, sure, um, yeah. you know, the, yeah, the, the counterpart man. to... Yeah the counterpart to the lady. And um, she thinks that the green man evolved out of Sheila Nagig carvings. 
now, Sheila Nagig carvings are ancient carvings that are found primarily in Ireland, but also across other places in Europe of a like primitive woman showing off her vulva. Uh, okay. How did we get from vulva statues to a tree man? I... I we, feel like that's a leap. So, I'll believe that the fucking <laughs> chimney sweep ints evolved from the green man. Like, that seems fairly reasonable. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know where the green man connects back to ancient carvings. Now, part of this is because we don't actually is it know. Just because they're made out of wood. And she's like, trees are made out of wood. Connect the dots. No, the Sheila Nugget carvings were primarily on um on structures and buildings where people would gather. There are, there are more Sheila Nagig carvings on churches and castles than anywhere else throughout oh. Europe. Um, so you could go into a I've church- into a bunch of churches and castles. I feel like I didn't in know In Ireland, this. and you can see just like a sculpture of a prehistoric woman showing off her vulva huh. like two-handedly um, huh. to all the passerby. And we don't even really know what symbolism these Sheila Nagig carvings had, by the way. like. I mean, listen, that's we just, don't know. That sounds like that people sounds like think Mason's that they were like maybe protection. Sure, sure. Or fertility. That seems pretty obvious to me. Um, some people that when the church got a hold of them, the church was like. Protection against lustful thoughts. <laughs> we just didn't want to pay to replace a bunch of bricks. Basically. They're like, how many of these are there in Europe? And the guy's like, oh, there's like like there's like 10 million. And he's like, ooh, that's a lot of bricks. Um what if it's not what we all think that it is, and instead it's for like protection against lust or something? And the guy's like, Yeah, that seems like a cheaper plan. Let's do that financially yeah. for this church. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so um Lady Raglan was just like this pyramid tree thing came from these like Vulva statues and churches. Yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah, came from vulva statues and churches. Um, now, I think that it's actually more possible that she's seeing the connections to Jack and the Green um, with the Wicker Man. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean the movie, um, yeah, but I also kind of mean the movie. Sure. Um, so we know from several ancient authors that the Celts sacrifice people. Um, so that's no secret. But um, there's really only two accounts of the quote unquote wicker man and the wicker man is um basically like uh a one whole human made entirely out of wicker baskets no that would be horrifying <laughs> um although the although what it actually is that they described is more horrifying the so the main source of the wicker man thing is actually julius caesar mm -hmm. and he wrote um others have figures of vast size the limbs of which formed osiers they filled with living men which then being set on fire the men perish enveloped in the flames so basically a giant burning man, but with like people inside. Um, this is actually not like a weird concept for a lot of modern people to think about because of the popularity of burning man as well bees? as- I'm pretty certain the wicker man has to do with bees. The, okay, so- The bees! The wicker man does have to do with bees as sorry, well I'm only as like a bunch of weird stuff. I'm only thinking of the movie. And, it's such a good um, movie. The Wicker Man itself, we could do like a whole episode on just the movies of the Wicker Man because there's so many like weird folklore things that they like fully or only half researched and then just like smooshed together. Yeah. Um, so we should just do we should do like we should just do like mat like magic movie analysis videos for YouTube. 
where we just like watch a movie that has like vague magic y like folklore stuff, you know, like Midsommar or um Wicker Man or the one where the guy goes to the island and they're like the island the soil's like drinking people's blood or whatever oh, that yeah. shit is. Yeah. You know? And then just talk about the like metaphysical and religious connotations and like historical practices and what's like made up and stuff. That'd be dope. Yeah. Well funny you mentioned that because we're basically gonna be doing that for our uh fanime panel. Yeah. So we're going to start doing that and we're going to start with anime. Um, yeah. So the Wicker Man side of things kind of ties into what we were talking about with Walpurgis Noct when it comes to setting on fire representations of winter. So I think that that's probably closer to like where that came from. Yeah. And <laughs> this guy looks a little snowy. Burn him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I'm not saying that they didn't sacrifice living people in this, but I think that that's a tradition that evolved out of it. And that's really kind of where we're seeing this sure. Jack and the Green thing. Um, it, and I think that that's a, a better reach than the than the, than the, the, the Volvo. church Volvas and milk and uh, decorated milk pails. Yeah. In my <laughs> mind, when you say that these gals are decorating milk pails and hats, with like like with flowers, but and their hats are pyramid shaped. I'm thinking like a springtime pyramid head. That's all I right? can think of. Um, which is mostly just pyramid head covered in flowers in a pink dress, like running through a fields of daisies, like you know, the sound of music, yeah, style. And uh, I don't have the graphical acumen to do that, but if somebody wanted to do that. I mean, we could make the costume and just go find like a hill full of daisies. <laughs> spring pyramid head? We could do that. Right? Be, we could do a spring. That would be fun. Springtime pyramid head uh, would be, uh, Sound of Music pyramid head would be an amazing cosplay. Um, yeah, that would be yeah, That would be fun. amazing. We might have to do that. Yeah. We might have to do that the next year. The nurse can have bees. <laughs> yeah, because bees. <laughs> you and these bees. I mean, it's the bees. So, uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, next up, we're talking about Floralia. So, Floralia is the Roman um, spring festival, mm -hmm. and it was dedicated to the Roman goddess Flora. Yeah. <laughs> and this festival was held uh, from April 27th to May 3rd. And really, it's just sort of like an approximation. It usually happens a few days before and a few days after the new moon during late May and or during late April and early May. Mm -hmm. So that one is kind of like about to kick off. Um, well, if you're listening to this when it comes out now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and for Floralia, the festivities included theater because basically everything in ancient Greece and Rome had to do with theater, right? The theater. Yeah, the theater. Um, they also released rabbits and goats into the Colosseum, not for people to hunt, but just to hang out with. Like a petting zoo? Yeah. That's gangster. I like amphitheater petting zoo. That seems... Weird. Oh, hey, we're going to bring all the kids to the amphitheater. Why? Isn't that place pretty bloody? No, no, no. Today, petting zoo. Tomorrow, monster trucks. So, you know, you got to get your money's worth out of these amphitheaters. They're very expensive investments. <laughs> yes. Yes. <It laughs> Times was, don't change anything. It was also common to just, like, throw flowers at people. <laughs> just, just throw flowers just at people. Just aggressively. Yes. Just, ah! Yeah. Potted. 
Just the head part? We, uh, we don't know. Mm. We don't know. Mm. Um, <laughs> I imagine the more flour you've got to throw, the farther it'll go. So the more effective that would be. I, that's not necessarily so, true because you can't. I mean, you know, if you have like a like a like a heavy like uh, like a heavy duty flour and it's just one and it's pretty good size, I bet you get like sweet spiral on that and just bean someone in the I head. mean, I bet you that like throwing a sunflower is a lot more effective than throwing like a daisy. <laughs> well, I so. guess it depends on what the effect you're trying to get is to spread spring cheer or to physically <laughs> harm your neighbors. <laughs> and but, to that I say, why not both? Yeah, why not both? That's fair. That's fair. Um, I mean, I feel like what we have to do is flower based dodgeball now. Where we yeah. just have buckets in the middle and you can just grab like one flower at a time. Oh my god. We would we would have to buy so many flowers. But if we did flower dodgeball, how fun would it. that be? It would be right? super worth it. Just like buckets full of like heads of flowers and you're just winging flowers at each other. Yeah, it would be very worth it. Yeah. That would be yeah. dope. That'd be dope. We, we might we have, to, have to organize that. We're, we're gonna have to do that. Yeah. So throwing flowers at people also. Um competitive events. Um, yeah. but I am unclear as to Flower what kind ball. of competitive events. Yeah. So whatever you think. Wow. As well as sacrifices to flora. Now, the sacrifices though, it was actually looked down upon to have blood or animal sacrifices. So I know you're thinking these rabbits and goats, perfect prime yeah, sure, for sure. those yeah. sacrifices. No, Not petties, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um it was um it was mostly like non-animal type sacrifice. That doesn't mean that you can't do that. Yeah. It just means that this was more about vegetation and spring yeah. and new life than Cut it was the head about- off a turnip, you know, whatever. That that would work. Yeah, um, bleed and onion, <laughs> whatever you have to do. To and in particular, people veg. would bring ears of wheat to shrines that were dedicated to Flora or Ceres or Demeter during these types of, um, during these festivals. And um, this was- Floralia is probably one of the more interesting festivals for me, at least after doing this research, um, because not only do we have like releasing rabbits and goats, but you can't kill them. We have pelting people with flowers. We have unknown competitive events, um, but we also have the theater and the theater is interesting because um, there were prostitutes that would just perform live during Floralia nice, in yeah. the amphitheaters there. Um, but normally they wouldn't do this? That is correct. Mm. Normally they did their they did their business, for lack of a better word. Yeah, like in a in, room. In like a room or a bro, you know, where, wherever it was that they yeah. did their business. Yeah. I probably not. Um, <laughs> prostitution in ancient Rome was actually really, really common. Yeah. And yeah, they probably had whatever the ancient Roman equivalent of a, of a brothel is. Yeah, they had brothels. Also, um, most women were sort of like looked upon it, at least in part as like property of men. Sure. But prostitutes were generally free women that could make their own decisions. Mm. Um, so it creates an interesting uh, social dynamic there. And not only did prostitutes perform live um, during Floralia in the amphitheaters, when they had actual plays, the women in the plays often performed naked. Um, sometimes they would start out with clothes on and then the audience would be like, take off your shirt. And then they would take off their shirt, basically. <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds like these amphitheaters just became like real, real <laughs> divey bars. <laughs> They're yeah. like, hey, it's Floralia. Don't go to the amphitheater. That place gets weird. They're like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, first petting zoo. So that's different. And then once we shut the petting zoo down for like the night hours, um, it's just like a bunch of sex. So 
Yeah. Uh, you get to yell at yeah. people to take your clothes off, and I guess yeah. they just do it. So that's crazy. Yeah. And in particular, the plays performing naked thing is is interesting because we're going to come back to the, the sex part. Um, it, it feels very Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, as time went on and the Christian of your the Christianization of Europe happened, that really happened in Rome much earlier than it did for the rest of Europe. So in Rome, this was happening in like the like third and fourth centuries. And um there was a lot of people during this time when Florali was still being, you know, celebrated regularly and um <laughs> aggressively, uh, that uh that would clutch their pearls about this. So the um the fourth century poet. Ausanias is equally impatient with such behavior when he chides those who go to the theater during Floralia. And this poet says, the rites which they long to see who declare they never longed to see them. So, like, we know you'd be looking at that Pornhub. Don't tell us how bad Pornhub is. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, they're just a bunch of fucking pearl clutchers. Yeah, yeah. that's hilarious. That's That's real funny. Yeah. Now, sometimes Floralia was celebrated along with a festival called Myoma, which was a festival that honored Aphrodite and Dionysus or Adonis. Kind of depends on, you know, what, what, what the deal, what the deal is there. And we don't actually know much about this festival at all at all. Um, so it's likely another one of those like mystery cult celebrations. And we've talked about mystery cults in a bunch of episodes, yeah. Persephone, Haiti or Persephone, Aphrodite, Dionysus, they all had like secret mystery cults. It was very in vogue for them. And, um, but what we do know is that both Floralia as well as Myuma were celebrated typically at night, with parties and orgies. So Floralia during the day, petting zoo and theater. Floralia at night, orgies and parties. Yeah. yeah. So that's like the big deal there. Now, the first time actually that Floralia is mentioned though, is actually um, pretty recent as far as like the whole ancient Roman and, and stuff goes. Um, because the first time this festival was mentioned was in about 240 BCE. Mm. Um, and that was because there was a temple that was erected for the goddess Flora, um, and it was erected after a particularly bad drought. So after like a year or so of bad drought, they were like, time to build a temple. Now, we don't know how long before that people were celebrating Floralia, sure. but it was not a big deal until this temple was built. Temple built, orgies, petting zoo. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So um, that is a whole bunch of information about sort of the history of Beltane and kind of how it ended up being where it is. I think um, if you are a longtime listener, um, all seven of you, thank you. What's up? Uh, <laughs> or if you've listened to the Beltane um, 101, you can see a lot of sort of similarities between how we modern day um, do Beltane as well as how we sort of like ancient times do Beltane yeah. um, and sort of like how all that stuff ties in. And I'm hoping that some of this information gives you new ways and interesting ways to celebrate Beltane for yourself. Yeah. So we typically celebrate with like a birthday party for me, basically. So we actually usually have a um, we usually have like a feast with like people over. I usually do tacos um, for my birthday because tacos are great to feed a crowd. And uh, I usually spend like the week before our Beltane ritual doing a pinata yeah. because I like to make pinatas from Hannah. My pinatas are the buffest. Yeah. We, we throw have to, like axes and spears and shit at them. So. Because it's the only thing that will break them open. Yeah. Yeah. And it's then I put fun gangster. stuff inside. It's and, quite gangster. Yeah. 
Uh, and Beltane is also associated with the Fae, so we typically have lots of um, Fae folk hanging around. Fae, yeah, Fae shenanigans. Shenan lots of shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we have like a bonfire and stuff like that. So I don't really know what do we, we don't really, we haven't talked about plans for this. We year. have not. Yeah. It's kind of come up quickly and we've been busy with a lot of things happening in, in real life. Yeah. So, yeah. Good hmm. change. All good change oh, yeah. All for good those change. of you that change. are uh, wondering what's up with that. All good change. Um, but yeah, we'll probably do something. something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we're gonna go ahead and give you a simple Beltane rit ritual that you can use either in addition to or just in general yep. for whatever you're doing for Beltane. And yeah. uh, these rituals and like spells that we share and stuff like that are obviously written by us, informed by our research and like knowledge. And uh, we're, you know, we're at no point in time claiming that they're like connected to something of like mystery cult or anything like that. Yeah. I, mean, I guess it's the Horton Cauldron mystery cult, uh, <laughs> TM, TM or, or whatever. So, so yeah, but yeah, they're just written by us, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's basically like what we do. So yeah. You know? Yeah, just like on a simpler level. Usually when we have people over for ritual, we'll do something big, but also sometimes we don't. Sometimes we just like each say some stuff. Yep, sometimes we just say some stuff. Sometimes we have ritual crafts because uh, we like to do ritual crafts. Uh, often we have, because we like generally always have a bonfire because um, I have like a fire pit for that. Uh, generally we do like a... Like a uh, writing stuff down, burning it sort of situation, mm -hmm. you know, so I can, you know, it's, it's all safe and shit like that. So. Yeah. 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 So um, this ritual doesn't have to be done on Beltane. It can be done sort of anytime around Beltane. So if you're busy Beltane weekend and you kind of can't get to it for like a couple of weeks, don't worry about it. Nobody, nobody is going to be upset that you didn't do it on Beltane. Yeah. 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 It's about the intent and not about the date. Yeah, I yeah. completely agree. So for this ritual, um, in addition to anything else that you typically like to have in your magical practice, you're going to need, as usual, something to drink and a small snack, uh, because it's always a good idea to have something to drink and a small snack, both for offering as well as to um, help to feed you, because doing magical work is draining. Um, so you also want to have five small candles, one for each point of a pentagram, as well as a small totem to enchant for creativity. Uh, the totem can be anything you want. It can be, um, you know, it could be a piece of jewelry. It could be an, an a, article of clothing. A desk tchotchke. A desk tchotchke. It could be a particular pen or like if you're a painter, excuse me, like a paintbrush or a palette or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, you can be, you know, it can be, what is it? What do they have in um, Inception? Like a top? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He has like, like a, a chest. He has piece. like a spinning top. Yeah. And so you can have whatever piece, yeah. it is that you want. Um, yeah. You can even be one of them fake totem poles that you buy at while you're visiting a museum. <laughs> so your totem's a totem. It could be. It's a totemception. Yeah. Totemception. <laughs> so start out by casting a circle and clearing your mind. And when you are ready, say, "The wheel of the year turns, and today I honor Beltane. Spring is here, and the world is alive." The earth creates, as do I. Next, light the earth candle and say, spirits of earth, grant me stability. Next, light the air candle and say, spirits of air, inspire me. 
Next is the fire candle and say, spirits of fire infuse passion into my life. Now light the water candle and say, spirits of water calm my mind. And last, light the spirit candle and say, spirits of my ancestors support me with love and strength. When you're ready, now take your totem and visualize your creative endeavors, whatever those happen to be, whether that's uh, coloring in a coloring book, painting a work of art, weaving, anything that you want to do that's creative. That's, you know, visualize you doing that. Feel this energy going from you into the totem and like energizing it. And in particular, I find it helpful to actually like physically hold the thing or put my hands around it. Like I'm about ready to like grab it or like how you would put your hands like, like around a cup fire. It's face to smush it. Yeah. Like to you're going to cut its face, face to smush it. Yeah. Um, and, and like visualize that energy moving from you into the totem. Now, when you feel like the totem is sufficiently charged and you're ready, say the seed creates the plant and the plant creates the seed. This totem's energy helps me create and I pour my energy back into it, letting the cycle renew again. Now you can do any other magical work you want to do and you can have your little snack thinking about all the wonderful things that you're going to create. In fact, if you want to start creating now, go for it. Uh, but keep your totem on you. You can either... to. You know, so if you want to keep your totem on you, you can like let creativity strike at any time or you can take it out when you're particularly in the mood to let your creativity flow. Yeah. Yeah. And this can be recharged at any point in time. It doesn't even have to be Beltane uh, for this particular ritual uh, and for you to recharge that totem whenever you feel like it needs it. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So nice, nice little, little simple Beltane ritual. totem there. Yeah. Yep. So now on to the reading of lists. Yeah, it's a list o'clock. Uh, so up next is correspondences. Uh, so with our correspondences, we only read like um, like the the big the big guys. No, uh, we don't. <laughs> we just we we read some of them, not all of them. And it's mostly because we're not trying to be here for like another hour, my guy. And uh, so if you want the complete list. Uh, you can visit our Patreon page. We include the complete list in the Book of Shadows pages that I do. Uh, and then that's where you're going to get that, as well as it'll have like a bunch of information that we talked about in the podcast. Yep. And when you join the Patreon, uh, the Horn and Cauldron podcast here, you'll have access to all of the previous Book of Shadows pages. Yep. Um, as well as there is a, a Discord that we have. Yep, yep, um, and as things start to stabilize in our personal life from all these changes, uh, it's going to be more and more active. So it's definitely a place where you can hang out with us yeah. and ask questions or just chat yeah. and, uh, you know, just have a nice little community. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, so let's get into it. So animals, uh, so all these correspondences are associated with Beltane. So animals are bees and birds, goats See? and rabbits. Bees. <laughs> bees called it colors associated with beltane are particularly green white and yellow but beltane is a fun one that really can be any color uh, particularly those associated with flowers mm. for stones we're looking at bloodstone citron moss agates and uh, turquoise 
for plants associated with Beltane. Uh, broom, which is usually blooming during Beltane. It has beautiful little yellow flowers. Uh, coriander, dandelion, fern, ivy, lemon balm, lilies, particularly lily of the valley, uh, marigold and mint and mugwort, hawthorn and rowan and uh, lang lang and really any other flower particularly those that are seasonally happening. Um, <clears throat> so you've got a lot of things to pull from there. As for foods, almonds and asparagus, berries are all really popular. Chickpeas are particularly associated with Beltane. I think it's because they look like little butts. <laughs> Sorry, little butts. Yeah, dairy and eggs, um, anything that's fruit or fruit wine or fruit booze, um, honey, uh, again, bees, I yeah, guess. Bees. Bees. <laughs> uh, and any other sort of seasonal fruits and veggies. For deities, um, there is uh, Ceres, Demeter, Dionysus, Freya, Green Man, um, Pan, and Persephone are all pretty associated with Beltane. Another miscellaneous things associated with it are like fairies, any sort of fertility charms, um, baskets or um, little cones of flowers, as well as the maple. Hmm. All right. Well, that's uh, that was a bunch of correspondences. That was a whole bunch of lists, but not all of the correspondences. So, <laughs> anywho, uh, firstly, I would like to thank our uh, patrons. Uh, for the podcast, that's Alan, Miranda, Helena, Alexa, Jeffrey, and Adrian. You guys are awesome. Thank you very much. Yep. Stay awesome. Thank you for helping us do what we do and yep. better every time. Yep, that's right. And uh, next time, we will have our Horn and Cauldron podcast pub chat. I know we didn't do the last pub chat. Um, I was tired. <laughs> and we're still getting used to a new schedule, which yeah. I know we keep referencing, but uh, basically the TLDR of it is John has changed jobs, which is a wonderful, wonderful yeah, it's, thing. It's a plus. Um, and it also changes uh, days off, which makes our what has yeah. been our regular our schedule. classic schedule is now uh, very up in the air. So uh, for right now, it's kind of all over the place when we're able to like get stuff done. But uh, that'll stabilize soon, and uh, and we'll be able to move forwards from there. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so yeah, the next up will be the the Horn and Cauldron podcast pub chat. Yep. And uh, then after that is episode thirty eight, which will be a kitchen witchery episode. Have we done a kitchen witchery episode at all before? We have. We did like one in the past, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, our previous Kitchen Witchery episode was episode 19. Yeah, and that was just like generic Kitchen yep, Witchery. Yep, that was just like a getting started with Kitchen Witchery. Yeah, so we'll uh, stay, gotta tune in to find out what this <laughs> Kitchen Witchery is gonna be about this time. I definitely don't have it figured out yet. Uh, that means actually I don't have it figured out yet because I'm the one who does yeah, I don't actually all do of the of research. Stuff. You never know what we're talking about. That's well, you fair. know that you know the category oh, of stuff. Oh, like listen, I know that I just read Kitchen Witchery, but in about 20 minutes, I don't know what we're talking about. So, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so tune in next time for that stuff. Um, but either way, I've been John Norgrove. This has been Julie Norgrove. This has been The Horn. And Cauldron. Uh, podcast. And we will uh, catch you guys on the flip side. Stay magical, folks. Yeah. And don't forget, breathe in self-confidence and breathe out self-doubt. <laughs>